Thanks, David. Again, welcome. You're all welcome, whether you're a regular or a visitor. We're really glad to see you, and I hope you'll enjoy our company and this opportunity to worship together. Special welcome goes this morning to Robert Beggs, uh, because this is his last Sunday with us in his role as vacancy convener. Robert has guided us with his wisdom, experience, and good grace through this past year in our search for a new minister. He has become a much-loved and respected brother to us and has proved himself to be a, a true friend of Kirkpatrick. Thank you, Robert, and we look forward to hearing you speak later on in the service. I don't know how you feel after listening to the news this week. The big message appears to be that, unfortunately, we cannot trust the integrity or morality of those in high places in our nation. Such realizations can shake our confidence and leave us wondering about who we can actually trust. This is no new thing, of course. The people in the church at Corinth were having the same problem trusting in the promises of men, even through some misunderstandings, the Apostle Paul. Could they be confident that promises would be kept? Yes or no was the challenge. As we gather to worship, we can be assured of this. As Paul wrote in his second letter to that church long ago, no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Our risen, exalted Lord and Savior is the guarantee that what God has promised, he will perform. And with that joyful certainty in our hearts, let's stand to sing our first song. Give thanks to the Lord, our God and King. His love endures forever. Let's stand together. Let's pray together. Father God, we come with joy and confidence into your holy presence because you have made us welcome. Jesus, your wonderful Son and our Savior, has redeemed us, and you have adopted us as your children. So with deep gratitude and an amazing sense of belonging, we bow before you in wonder, love, and adoration. You are God Almighty, the one whose word cannot be broken, and we rest on your promises. We trust your word. We are at peace with you. We confess that we are often not very good at showing the family likeness. We are poor reflections of our Lord Jesus. Forgive us, we pray, for our failures, our sins of this past week, and make us clean again and fit for your service. May your Holy Spirit energize and perfect all we aim to do today in praise and worship of you, our Father. In the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, we ask all this. Amen. Now, Mary Rose, our pastoral care worker, is going to come and share with us a bit of what she's been doing among the Kirkpatrick family. Mary Rose. Thank you. I never knew what I wanted to be when I grew up. Some people sensed their vocation early on, others, like me, struggled. I spent many happy years in book selling. I especially enjoyed the challenge of matching books to young, reluctant readers, getting them hooked on reading for life. 
But a calling from God had been niggling away at me for many years. A desire to serve the family of God, the church, formally. Previously, I had taken training in accredited preaching, auxiliary ministry, hospital visitation, and I served many roles in my home congregation of Belmont. Then, coming up to five years ago, God stepped in with a clearer path for me. A happy combination of a timely work redundancy and this opportunity. The congregation here at Kirkpatrick Memorial appointing me as your part-time pastoral care coordinator. Our relationships with each other are reflected, inspired, and dependent on our relationship with God. And pastoral care has been modeled for us by Christ in all his interactions with people, the wealthy, the poor, the powerful, the excluded, the ill, the proud, the lost, children, women, and men of all ages. So who is responsible for pastoral care in this congregation? You are. We all are, no matter what age. Pastoral care is about valuing, encouraging, supporting each other as a reflection of God's care for us. We are to love each other in the way God loves us. It's no coincidence that my role here is not simply pastoral care worker, but pastoral care coordinator. The formal structure set up here in Kirkpatrick is that the discipleship groups led by elders pastorally care for one another. Those not in a discipleship group are looked after by myself and Brian Carson, one of the elders. But informally, we all care for each other. Many of you have been doing pastoral care and haven't even known it. For me, it has been and continues to be a privilege working here. I've discovered that when you're going into private homes, care homes, respite homes and hospitals, the people I visit bless and encourage me much more than I can offer them. Pastoral care never hits headlines, but it does change worlds. We now have about 20 congregational visitors and 10 phone-a-friends to assist with the care of individuals and households. But I also see countless acts of kindness, friendship and Christian commitment within our congregation all the time. A phone call here, a coffee catch-up there, a visit on the doorstep, a simple how are you, but really listening to the answer. No matter how much I, am, I do, I am continually humbled and encouraged by others in our congregation who act out their Christian witness every day. And I am still learning. I want to continue to learn about dementia and how to support those who have it and those who care for them. I want to develop our relationship with care homes in the area. And finally, I wish to inform you that alongside my work here, I applied and have accepted another pastoral care role part-time in my home congregation of Belmont. I started two weeks ago 
So you have me on Tuesdays and Thursdays going forward, and I aim to be in Belmont on Mondays and Wednesdays. I hope and pray that there may be projects in the future that the two churches can share together. But in the meantime, let us all learn to be good listeners and continually to pastorally care for one another. I hope I'm still growing up, still learning to be a disciple of Christ. Thank you, Mary Rose. We're going to sing again. This song is one that the boys and girls among us will really know well. It's about how we can be brave and do great things for God because he is with us. We're going to sing it through twice. I want to really hear you singing this out. It's be bold, be strong, for the Lord your God is with you. Let's all stand to sing this. That's a great song. Our Bible reading this morning is from Deuteronomy chapter 31, the first eight verses. Then Moses went out and spoke these words to all Israel. I am now 120 years old, and I'm no longer able to lead you. The Lord has said to me, you shall not cross the Jordan. The Lord your God himself will cross over ahead of you. He will destroy those nations before you, and you will take possession of their land. Joshua will also cross over ahead of you, as the Lord said. And the Lord will do to them what he did to Sion and Og, the kings of the Amorites, whom he destroyed along with their land. The Lord will deliver them to you, and you must do to them all that I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the presence of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you must go with this people into the land that the Lord swore to their ancestors to give them, and you must divide it among them as their inheritance. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. This is the word of the Lord. Now Robert will come and speak to us. Good morning, everyone. It's uh, great to be with you again in Kirkpatrick. Uh, my last Sunday, um, officially. Um, I suppose my last appearance here uh, in this role of convener will be on Friday evening when Graham is installed. But it's great to be with you today. And I want to thank Billy particularly uh, for his kind words. As we guess, we're almost there. Um, and in the sovereign will of God, for the first time in over a year, Next Sunday, you will be able to say that our own minister is preaching today. It's been a long road. It's been a lo- road that, a, first, in some respects, seems to have been made longer by the difficulties that we all faced with COVID lockdown and the upheavals that it brought. Yet, despite all of that, and despite those challenges, 
I trust that uh, we can all say that the church continued to grow spiritually and physically in faith and understanding as well as numerically. With new people added uh, over the past year and uh, children born into the church family, the church has grown. And I want to say that I've been helped along the way in significant ways by Paul and Mary Rose, uh, by Monty and Mark and the Reverend Jim and others who have led services and come along uh, to teach and to preach or continued that pastoral work um, through the last year. And I want to say to each one, thank you. I've been helped also by Gareth and the elders and members of committee and those that along the way have come to know quite well but my regret, I suppose, at this point is that with all the restrictions of the last year and indeed longer, it's prevented me really from getting to know many members of the church family better. Now, I don't think today is maybe the day for a long sermon. That may come in the future. I don't know how long Graham normally would preach. Um, but for um, words, I hope that will encourage you today. And challenge you also as a church family um, as you come to this new stage in your life together as God's people. And it centers around the thoughts that were triggered by a conversation that I had with Gareth um, some time ago about the history and the development of Kirkpatrick as a church. Now it's important, of course, for us to realize that and to acknowledge the history of the congregation here in Kirkpatrick that that history goes back over a century and the church today is built on the foundation of those who went before us. And by the prayers of faithful people, some of whom are still with us today, but there is no doubt at the same time that over the last two decades you have experienced a significant change of pace and revival as God has worked among you. And for some of you here today, and those who are perhaps listening at home, Christoph was the only minister that you've known in the church here. And while for many years, I suppose, or certainly recently anyway, the church has experienced something or had the feeling perhaps of a church plant, the present congregation is maturing as it grows and in a way that has given visibility for us in the change of ministry that's about to take place. Changes in or transfers of leadership, according to the commentator Christopher Wright, are given a particular significance in Scripture, of which I suppose the appointment of Joshua to succeed Moses is really the first example, the first significant example that we get in Scripture. And of that he writes this, transfers of leadership, a transfer of leadership is critical for any community, sacred or secular. The Bible actually focuses on the issue quite frequently and with characteristic, consistent features. Even with Moses at the helm, the true leader of the people is God. Now, Moses had led the people, of course, out of bondage in Egypt. He had brought the nation. The nation had been forged in the desert through that desert experience and through the trials of faith, the disobedient generation had all but died out and now on the verge of entering the land. 
the land that was promised to Israel's patriarchs. Moses is told that he cannot enter the land and that the task of leading the people into this new experience will be for Joshua. Now, if this led to concern in the nation, uh, we can understand why that was the case for almost all of Israel at this point in their corporate life. For almost all those people, Moses had been the only leader that they had known. But there is an important lesson here, all the same, for us to learn. That whatever happens in terms of the visible leader here of the nation, Israel is not a democracy. Israel is a theocracy, and God is in command. It is God who has led the nation. It is God who has done the work. It is God who won the victory over their enemies. And he has gone before them, and he will go before them in this new phase of their story. And that's an important truth that's affirmed in verse 3 for us. The Lord your God himself will cross ahead of you, and he will destroy these nations before you, and you will take possession of their land. Now, leaving aside the warlike um, language here and the background of conquest, even though you might now want to stand and sing onward, Christian soldiers, right now, what is being said by this? Well, I think it is, if you want to give it a heading, that there is a new leader, but the same God. And I think that there's a vital reminder here that that is the case. That though the voice may have changed, though the personality may have changed, the objective and the promise have not changed. Those two things have not changed. Because God is bigger and his purposes are more enduring than any individual. And it's not the quality and the faithfulness of Christian leadership, not that that's not important, or that any one congregation of God's people, um, that our behavior and our following of God is not important. That, that clearly is, is important indeed. And you have been busy over the last year praying and hoping that God will draw you as a people to the one of his choosing as minister. And that God will draw you in his sovereign will together. But it was all for the purpose of moving forward and walking together in God's will. And for you, the church family here in Kirkpatrick, the call to Graham is as much an act of faith as his accepting that call is an act of faith. You have demonstrated that you believe under God that you have been led by the Holy Spirit and that he at the same time, has drawn the minister of his choosing to work among you here and to develop that work. It may be a new stage for you, but it is a continuation of what God wants to do in and among you. The work that you and Graham will be called to do is still to advance God's kingdom. In evangelism, as witnesses to the Saviour Jesus Christ or in building up and equipping the saints for works of service. It is still the same challenge. It is the same work. And in whatever challenges you may face together in the coming years, and who knows now what those challenges will be, you may have some idea 
what some of them will be. For you as the people of God and he as the one that God calls, you will work together and you will face those challenges. But whatever they are, they will not be outside the sovereign will of God, nor will they be unknown to him. They may be unknown to us. We may not know how they will work out, but this is all in God's plan. And from beginning to end, we need to remember, it's not we who build the church. We have a role to play. We have a part that God appoints to us. We have the help and strength of the Holy Spirit, but it is God who promises to build his church. You see, it is in effect the same promise for Israel that the Lord would go before them and that he would strive with the resident nations to give Israel the possession of the land. And for the church, that despite everything that may cause us to fear or despair, that Christ will build his church and in the end, the kingdom will be victorious. So that really is the the second thing, I suppose, that we've got to get our minds fixed on. It is that God is faithful. The faithfulness of God to his promises is something that we can rely on. And for us, the assurance that we are not alone is so important. For we do not struggle against flesh and blood. Sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we forget that the advancement of Christ's kingdom is a spiritual task. The conquest of Canaan was much more than simply one army pitched against another army. At times, Israel represented God's instrument of judgment. At other times, God worked in grace among them to counter Israel's failures and to make up for those. But always, it was to prepare for that time when his son would take the role that ultimately Israel failed to accomplish and become himself the light to the nations. So it's timely to say that this is a spiritual work, and for the church, more than simply um, a case of being well organized for the future, important as that may be. The church that is busy may simply be good at being busy. Activity alone may generate more heat than light, The challenge, though, for every church is to keep in step with the Spirit. But the confidence is that to borrow the image image of Deuteronomy and Moses' speech here, the battle belongs to the Lord. It is not our power to advance the kingdom, but it's in God's hands. So something is required And and that brings us to think about the faithfulness of God's people. Something is required of us, for the Lord who is faithful requires the minister and the people called together to be faithful. And that is measured here in terms of their obedience. The willingness to fulfill the role cast for them when it could be said to be difficult. It is for you together, thinking about your situation, It is for you together with Graham in the future to discover the path that Christ sets for you, the people of Kirkpatrick. And in the courage and strength 
that we see in verse 6 is also needed for that. It may be building on what you have done already. Maybe extending what you have already been engaged in. It may be to continue in a familiar work and to redouble your efforts in that particular sphere. But it also may be a new departure. It may be crossing new borders in the sense of pioneering something that is new. Something that may call for bold steps of faith. The question, I suppose, comes back to this. How will Kirkpatrick Memorial Presbyterian Church grow in the coming years? How will you together advance the kingdom, advance the gospel, see people saved and grow in Christ? It is not by your own efforts alone. It is not by novel programs or by cutting-edge worship or anything of that nature. And if I can say this without sounding in any way condescending or um, in any sense critical at all, one of the things that first surprised me when I came here a year ago and has since impressed me is actually the ordinariness of your worship services. There's nothing flash about them, but behind them there is a spiritual maturity among leaders and people that is sometimes absent in other places. But the fact of spiritual maturity, rather than making us brim with self-confidence, should lead us back to dependence on God the Holy Spirit, that he will go before us in everything. You see, in Scripture, the situation and the language used may change. But I think the thought is consistent throughout Scripture. Here, before the conquest, Israel is told the Lord goes before you into this new land, into the challenges they face. The Lord goes before you. To Zerubbabel trying to rebuild the temple with all the difficulties that, that, that he faced, the word of the Lord was not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. For Paul seeking to encourage hard-pressed believers, he said, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And all of this is affirmed by Jesus in his own words that John records for us and still resound today in our ears. John 15, verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So for our part, while obedience, courage, and the response of faith and following are all necessary, all positive, and all good, it comes back to this truth. The kingdom is advanced not by a godly minister, not by spiritual leaders or elders, not by an obedient church. All these things are necessary. All these things are good. All these things ought to be found. But the kingdom is advanced by the work of the Holy Spirit in and through you, God's people. The pastor and author, uh, Jared Wilson, uh, writing in a book called um, The Prodigal Church, reminds us that the Holy Spirit is working through the good news. Uh, and that's the only power that we have got. And he goes on to conclude this. 
The message, the methods, the means, all have to come from God or we are completely sunk. This means at the very minimum that our ministry, like our Christian life in general, ought to be saturated in prayer. Which he writes is an admission of dependence. Now sadly that's a truth that we often pay lip service to. We say that prayer is of ultimate importance. But in reality, the average church and the average believer is really prayer deficient. Perhaps a friend of mine, um, right, who a number of decades ago now wrote in the front of his Bible uh, these words, had it right, work as if everything depends on you, but pray knowing that everything depends on God. So often we remember the first So often we're keen to invest our time in the first. But we forget the second. And there is that phase of work that must be backed home by prayer. This is a spiritual work. What you're called to do is a spiritual work. And that is why this work of prayer is difficult and challenging. Or maybe I say that only for myself. Maybe I'm the only one who feels that. But I think that's where I want to leave it for now. Not meaning that I'm so terrible in prayer, um, but that we could all deepen our spiritual lives in that respect. And ultimately, that is the challenge, and that is the need. But our confidence, I hope, comes from verse 6. Whatever opportunities or challenges of the future whatever those challenges may be, whatever is contained for you, the people of God in this place at this time, together with your new pastor, when he is installed, hold this as your confidence. The Lord your God goes with you, and he will never forsake you. Well, may God bless you um, as you come to this stage. And uh, trust to follow with interest, actually, what happens in the coming years. But thank you uh, for listening, Billy. You don't often get applauded for your sermons, you <laughs> It's just a measure of our uh, gratitude for what they've done. We're going to sing again, and, and this song is perhaps new to a whole lot of us. It was new to me before I looked at it this week. It's a brilliant song, and it really emphasizes what Robert had been saying. Our dependence is on God. It's called Christ, our hope in life and death. And after we've sung that, Paul is going to come up from wherever he is and make the announcements. Good morning, everyone. Robert, thank you for those words of encouragement and challenge. Um, this is my only opportunity to do this, so I want to thank you on behalf of the staff team. Because we, we breathed a sigh of relief when we heard you were coming, Robert. Not to say anything about the possible alternatives, but your reputation preceded you, and we knew that you would bring wise and gentle leadership. And you've also brought friendship to us as well. We've really enjoyed our coffees on a Tuesday morning, and I hope those continue, even when you're not our convener. So we hope to see you there. Um, just a few words of announcement from me this morning. If you receive the email, you'll have noticed now is this time of year in Presbyterian Church when we think about the World Development Appeal. And um, we've been thinking about already this morning 
about how we partner together in pastoral care and also in our mission in this community. And one of the things we do as a congregation is we partner with other congregations in PCI to do things we couldn't do alone. So if you look in in this week's email or indeed online, you'll see that this theme, the theme for this year's World Development Appeal is weathering the storm. And I would encourage you to have a look at that material. And if you would like to give, um, there should be envelopes available from the welcome team today. You can pick one of those up. And I believe there's an option to give online through PCI's website as well. Um, A couple of things already been mentioned, but just to reinforce for you, on Friday evening, of course, it's the installation service of Graham. Now, this is a presbytery service. Um, It's held here in Kirkpatrick, but it's organized by East Belfast Presbytery. And obviously then it will involve people from Ballygraney, um, uh, uh, his friends and family, and of course some people from here. Now, booking for that has closed. But we would encourage all of us to gather together online at 7.30 on Friday evening as we celebrate this um, moment in our church family's life together. Before Friday then on Thursday night, can I encourage you as well, if you're available, um, to tune in on Zoom at 8 p.m. as we gather together to pray for that service and indeed to pray for Graham and Paula as they prepare to minister for us here. And if you're, you're not able to get online on Zoom, Um, why not join with us in prayer from your home at that time anyway? Uh, Just one other thing to mention, and that's the death of John Munn, better known to all of us here as Jackie. Um, John died at the age of 90 last week. Now, John's funeral will be tomorrow, not Tuesday, as it said in the email. Mary Rose will be taking that, and it's a private funeral. But I just wanted to let you know of his death, and please do pray for his wife, Angela, and for their extended family. Billy, I think you're going to pray with us now. Thanks, Paul. This is the opportunity for us to pray together as a church family. I have the privilege and pleasure of leading you, but the point of this is that we all pray together. So as I lead, I'll pause slightly now and again for you to add your prayers Uh, to what we've just been saying to God. Let's all pray. Father in heaven, we bow before you with thankful, humbled hearts to know that you are absolutely trustworthy and faithful even to wayward, thoughtless people like us is beyond amazing. We're staggered by your grace and mercy to us. And want more than anything to somehow repay a little of the debt we owe you. So take our energy, our abilities, our resources, all that we are and have, and use them as you see fit for your kingdom and your service. You have once again proved yourself to be a loving and caring God. And we say thank you for calling Graham to take up the role of minister in Kirkpatrick. You have tenderly led and amply provided for our well-being as a church family this past year. And we look forward with gratitude and expectancy for all that you have in store for us in your plans. We know that some of our friends have struggled with ill health recently. And we're so grateful that you have restored them to a better place. We continue to pray for Elena and George and Ask that you will continue to bring them healing and wholeness. 
We pray also for Sally Briggs, a long-standing and dear member of Kirkpatrick, who is ill in hospital. We ask for your mercy, your comfort, and your tender touch on her and her family this morning. We pray for our brothers and sisters who are struggling to rise above the dampening, deadening effects of the COVID pandemic. Father, please lift their spirits and assure them of your constant, never-changing love for them. May they never feel alone. We lift our eyes further afield to the troubled nation of Kazakhstan, thanking you for the measure of calm that has been restored there, but we are very aware of the costs involved. Father, we pray that peace may become a reality in that land and that Kazakhstan citizens will be better served by those in authority to improve their quality of life and freedom of expression. For our brothers and sisters living and serving you in that difficult situation, we pray for personal protection, a sense of peace and hope, and an increased freedom to worship and spread the good news of Jesus. And finally, Father, we pray for our nation, for integrity and justice in government, for tolerance and fairness in society, and most of all, for a national awakening to the truth of the gospel and the lordship of Christ. These things we pray dependent on your grace and mercy. In the name of Jesus, amen. final song is a pretty short song. We'll probably sing it one and a half times. You'll get what I'm at when we're actually singing it and the words come up. It's a song of response to what we have heard. My heart will sing to you because of your great love. Let's all stand and sing. The way of benediction, I want to use some words from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Amen.